Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Mandy Salagari is an addiction, parenting and relationship expert and in this conversation that was originally recorded back in March 2020, just before the world changed, we discussed the very muddy topic of food addiction and I say muddy because when one is experiencing it, this idea of feeling addicted or out of control around food or you're living with it, it can be extremely hard to find any clarity of thought and I say that because that was my personal experience of it, I say was No, I'm going to stick with was. While I know that eating excessively leads to weight gain for much of my life, that was a truth I simply didn't want to believe. I have been overweight for much of my life because I was either unable to stop eating or just simply ate too much at any given opportunity. And I'm sure if you've been listening for a while that you're familiar with my own experiences and so I shan't linger on them here. But recently, especially on Instagram actually, I've been asked a lot about what helped me to get to a headspace where I was finally able to lose weight. And that in and of itself has been a bit of a shift because previously it was a lot of questions about what diet I did, how many calories am I on a day, did I cut out anything in particular, am I counting my macros? And I think it's... it it's noted I've definitely noticed that people are asking now about headspace where was my head at is there anything people should be reading which I think is a really positive step in the right direction rather than thinking about what diet can I do thinking about how can I get my head right because I want this to last and I'm deeply deeply pleased to have observed that change in tone in messages and so that's why I wanted to revisit this episode with Mandy I'm not I'm aware not everyone listens to every episode and um, we're all very busy and that if you're a new listener finding older episodes takes a lot of time and effort I publish a lot of podcasts and scrolling back through the feed can be just a bit time consuming and also just a, you know it can just be um just a, a, a scroll you're not really sure what you're looking for 
And because there had been so much interest in this topic on email and DMs recently, I wanted to put this back to the top of the podcast feed. And additionally, I then went back to re-listen because I was getting a lot of questions about this on Instagram. And I thought, oh, you know what, I'm going to listen to that episode again because it could be quite helpful to help me answer some of the questions that I was receiving. And I learned so much hearing it for a second time around not just learned more but learned different if that makes sense and I think the first time around I was very close to the subject uh, in, a, in a different way from how I am now and it's very difficult with the subject of food particularly if you feel that you struggle with it in some way to not interpret anything that's said about it subjectively and when I went back and listened again, I heard with much more clarity what Mandy says about one's relationship with oneself when it comes to any addictive process and how important it is to notice the difference between emotional and physical hunger and then ask yourself if it's the former. So if it's an emotional hunger, ask yourself, what do I need? What am I lacking? What am I feeling? Because if it's an emotional hunger and you're burying them you're burying your emotions under food, then you're not feeling them or even seeing them. And so the big question is, why don't I want to feel them? Why don't I want to see what's really going on? Now, like I said, we're all looking at this through a very emotional and subjective lens, so I'll let you come to your own conclusions about Mandy's insights. But what I think is very clear is how any eating issue is wrapped up in so much shame. And since I recorded this episode, I've also had Jess Griffiths from um, Beat what is it? Beat, binge eating disorder. Um, sorry, it's not binge eating disorder. It's beat. I'm trying to remember what beat stands for. Beat eating disorders. There we go. Uh, on the podcast. And she was a brilliant guest. And one of the things that we discussed in that episode was how overeating and binge eating disorder are perhaps the eating disorders that affect most of the people who actually have an issue with food. More people than um, have anorexia, for example. But because binge eating disorder and overeating can look like greediness and can be very easily dismissed as having little or no self-control, it's they're hard to diagnose or they're hard to it's hard to know that actually there are steps that you can take to help with this. And as Mandy says, and what you'll hear is these issues run far deeper than just not being able to eat a bit less. And that's where the work needs to be done. So it is quite a complicated topic and I am really happy to revisit it. And I just wanted to say that when I first published this episode, I think the title was uh, included food addiction. And since then, I've spoken to other people and I know that there is an element of discomfort from some schools about saying addiction with regard to food. But I have stuck with it because... I think that when one is going through it, when one isn't armed with all the knowledge that a lot of the experts are, it can feel like an addiction. And because I want to make sure that the right people find this episode, I actually think that referring to it in that way can be helpful just for getting you on this, uh, getting you in the conversation and then maybe understanding that there's a better way of referring to what you're really experiencing. But I think for so many years, all I was able to really explain to somebody was, I feel as though I'm addicted to food. I can't be in the same room with food. If I have food in the house, I'm going to eat it. And that felt like an addiction. Admittedly, it wasn't. There were, there were bigger things going on, but um, that's how it felt before I'd done the work. And uh, because it felt so frustrating lonely excruciatingly painful at times I want to make sure that anyone who's in that same space finds this because I do think it's a helpful resource if you are struggling and you want to make those changes 
So I will, of course, share the links to Mandy in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. But um, here we are again. It's Mandy Saligari talking all things food and food addiction on The Emma Gunn Show. Listeners, I know you're going to be delighted. Guess who's back? It's Mandy Saligari. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's never not a pleasure. It's always amazing. Always amazing to spend time with you. And this is an episode about something. Um, I don't know if I'm fully ready to properly get the best out of you on this topic. She looks at me quizzically. Going. I was actually. <laughs> Leave the space, see what she does. <laughs> Because um, it, we're, we're talking about food addiction. Yeah. Or um, perhaps we want to sort of umbrella term that and one's relationship with food, one's healthy or unhealthy relationship with food. Um, and the reason why I'm coming at this somewhat tentatively is because I feel as though I definitely in my life have had a very toxic relationship with food, potentially still continue to have one. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm slightly on top of it at the moment, which we'll get on to later. I love that, slightly on top of it. Well, because I don't <laughs> want to... My ears are pricked up already. I don't, I don't want any absolutes. I think it's... I don't want to give too many absolutes. Because I, yeah. I think that's then... If I do fall off the wagon, that's when I'm going to beat myself up. If I've wrapped it up in it's all done and nice and then a failure is unexpected. I've ha- I have had an incident with a family pack of, of crisps. <laughs> since I feel like I've got on top of it but I understood what it was and I moved past it well I just think just because we're at this moment right now yeah is that if you've got anything positive going on bank it mm-hmm. instead of saying well I don't want to bank it properly because if I bank it then I set myself up to fail and to really fall hard if I fall hard then the falling hard beats the banking moment mm-hmm. and I think live in the moment and if we're really going to live in the moment then we have to suffer when we do something wrong and learn from it mm-hmm. but we also need to be able to celebrate and bank the good stuff Mm -hmm. really nail that stuff to the floor so we know what we're doing this for Mm -hmm. I mean I'm in recovery and it's not been um plain sailing and I'm sure foods had a part to play in it uh because there wasn't much I didn't get my hands on at some point but uh definitely bank the successes Mm. you know so if you're doing something right and it's working for you just for today then live it Yes. Okay. I enjoy that very much because that's another thing of when I had the incident with the family pack of Chris, I just thought, well, tomorrow's a new day. And I've got so many days up to this point that were great. One day isn't going to be. Yeah. But just, you know, that is what it is. Don't beat myself up about it. Yeah, absolutely. Don't beat yourself up about it. Either look at what happened to you emotionally that meant the family pack of crisps had um, access to you mm-hmm. or you write it off as this is what ordinary normal people do. It's just because I've got potentially got an eating disorder that I take that stuff super seriously. Mm-hmm. Some of this is normal. Yeah. The, the, the thing about eating disorders, the thing about any addictive process, but we're on eating disorders or disordered eating or however you want to approach it. Is the, relate, is the fact that they are um, intertwined, that food becomes uh, a medication for emotion. Mm-hmm. So food in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's when we use food, and that means either to use it by eating it or to use it by starving yourself. It doesn't really matter mm-hmm. whichever way. But we use food as a way of controlling our emotion That's where the issue lies. So if ever you have this run in with your family pack of crisps or whatever it might be, don't focus on the crisps. 
focus on yourself. Mm -hmm. What was going on for me? Where was the hole inside me? What was I trying to attend to, run from, whatever? Because that's where the action is. And Mm -hmm. if there's nothing there and you were just hungry, then we have to look at why you weren't eating that set you up to be really hungry. I mean, ultimately, it always comes back to your relationship with yourself if you're looking at an addictive process. Okay. Well, that's that's the great place to start then, isn't it? The relationship with yourself. So... And I think I, before we started recording, I said the thing about food addiction, and I guess from my perspective, what I'm talking about here is overeating rather than undereating, is that um, it's sinister because um, it's not illegal. You don't have to be a certain age to consume it. You know, I can go to my local shop and fill a trolley and... And no one's going to say, are you sure? That's such a good idea. But, 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 but even though they're not going to say anything, overeaters often lie. Mm. And they say things that they're till like, gosh, got the whole family over this weekend. Mm. They say things that cover up their own shame mm. about having so much food in their trolley. Or they'll shop in one shop and then they'll shop in a different shop mm. a few days later because they're super conscious of how much they're buying. Mm. same goes for takeaways they might order three pizzas and then say oh for goodness sake i better get another one because so and so will turn up so there's all these cover-up things that represent the shame that somebody feels when they're overeating yeah and i grew up in a household where that's just reminded me of my something my brother said to me once when i think something sweet or a treat was put out and i said oh i shouldn't he went don't then (laughs) yeah because he has a completely different relationship with food. He definitely sees it as fuel. But it's not about suddenly seeing food as fuel to be able to have a healthy relationship with it. You can still see food as something to enjoy and have a healthy relationship with it, right? Yes. I mean, if you're looking at a couple of things here, one is I find there's a lot of people that come in when I meet them for treatment or for therapy or whatever in their 30s, let's say, When we backtrack through their dysfunctional relationships, their dysfunctional relationship with alcohol, we often find that their original distortion, if you like, was with food. Mm. So quite often I will, I mean, and I mean often, I mean 60, 70% of the time when I'm talking to a client who hasn't even thought about food as being problematic, once we've done a few sessions, they will backtrack and say, gosh, you know what, I think I was using food when I was six, seven, eight to fix how I feel. So a lot of the time, the food sits in the origins of a lot of the other addictive processes for the very reason that everybody feels shame about it, which is that it's accessible. Mm. You're hidden in plain view. It's not illegal. There's no time constraint, age constraint on being able to access it. And often it's given freely within families um, to help you cope with how you feel. And you have to eat. Yes, you have to eat. Uh, But... Above and beyond that, people say, oh, well done. You've been really good. Would you like a bag of sweets? Because you've been good. Mm. Oh, whilst you're watching the telly, just to keep you going, because you've been a bit sad today, here's a box of, I don't know, biscuits or whatever. Mm. So early on, lots of families, mistakenly, I have to say, will introduce food as an emotional coping mechanism, as the most normal thing in the world. Mm. So no wonder that people who struggle with their emotions or struggle with something that's happened to them in life pitch up later, perhaps with more, what might be seen as more uh, aggressive addictive disorders, and they discover that underpinning all of it, there was an eating disorder way, way back. It's interesting because I've just written down um, 
I hadn't, I, I don't think I'd ever thought of food as one of the addictions. I'd always thought alcohol, drugs, the sort of the typical things that you might, but it's a very real addiction and shouldn't be dismissed just because supermarkets aren't illegal. It's the only, it's the best way I can kind of describe it. I mean, I've argued in inverted commas, <laughs> I would never be rude enough to argue, but I've argued for many years, uh, decades, I'd say, about uh, food being an addictive disorder. Mm. Uh, medical model says not. Um, I have always said, and I maintain it is. I also maintain that food and the sort of attachment and intimacy process and your relationship with money will all operate as a triad. So if somebody's got an eating disorder, I know that they have also got problems within their interpersonal relationships. And I know that they have dysfunctional relationship with money. I know that about you now. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, um, so hard trying not to make this my own <laughs> private personal therapy session with Mandy Salagari. <laughs> Do you know what? It's 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 just one of those things because quite often I people come to therapy when things are really bad. Mm. They often don't come soon enough to get a real quick turnaround on their processes. Perceptions of therapy being one of the reasons for that. But so by the time they come in, quite often they're really entrenched mm. in their eating disorders and they know more about food than I could ever know. So trying to work with somebody who has an eating disorder, going in and talking to them actually about their food will often be, often be a complete dead end because they have all the answers. They're not stupid. They've already tried every diet. They've tried every form of control. They've been round and round their own heads 40,000 times before they've let me in. Mm. So in a way... Uh, I don't, in a way, the last thing I need to talk about is the food. So quite often we'll establish the food thing in about half an hour. And my next step will be to flank the addictive disorder by approaching their eating disorder via their relationship with money or via their interpersonal relationships. Because food is physical nourishment. We mm. all need to eat. Uh, in order to function. It's the analogy of the car needing fuel mm -hmm. and the madness of the um, over, the under-eater in thinking that they can travel without fuel. Um, but equally, love, affection is emotional nourishment, which we all need. And money is the way that we purchase that. It happens to be our currency. Mm. So you can be anorexic in money. In other words, you don't ever spend money on yourself. You can be bulimic in relationship. You have intense relationships with people, fall easily in love, but then <gasps> withdraw, run, mm -hmm. you know, have an explosive drama and break up. And you can be an overeater in your food and never know what is enough, never know what satisfaction is. So you'll just eat and eat and eat until you hurt or feel shame or feel disgust. And those things always operate in parallel. You can be an overeater in three, all three, or you can have each profile in each mm. arena, if you like. And each needs exploring. In order to get recovery, you've got to look at your relationship with yourself and with nourishment. It's all about giving and receiving. Okay. So, I mean, we've talk, we're talking about overeating. And again, I don't want to live, I don't want to... Um rest in extremes in this podcast because I think the reality is we all eat yeah and some of us me included make um uh poor um <laughs> choosing my words super carefully because you're in the room <laughs> you let one slip out then <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um 
Overeating isn't just about binging. No. It could just be about eating too much at each each sitting. It can be any... Basically, overeating is when you know what you're going to eat. If you were to do a meal plan, for example, for tomorrow and say, I'm going to have breakfast, lunch and supper, and I'm going to have, I don't know, if I'm hungry, these are the snacks that I might eat in between. Mm. And you'll say, I'm going to have snacks, you know, a couple of times in the day. An overeater, when they've planned to have one piece of toast, will have two. They'll have one croissant and they'll have two. They'll have one croissant at 6.30 in the morning when they get up and they'll have another one at 10 o'clock. Mm. And then they'll have a snack, but they'll have two of them. So... It is a fear against running out. Mm. It is um, paying it forward. It's not knowing uh, when I feel full. It's fear of feeling empty. It's preferring to feel full and disgusting or uh, feeling like I hurt because of what I've eaten. Mm. It's preferring all those feelings over natural emotion, which might be, I wonder what's going to happen next in my day. So what I do is I artificially create a bunch of feelings that I'm very used to as a result of overeating, whether they're physical or emotional, rather than risk being vulnerable in my day. So it's basically putting distance between you and reality. Absolutely. Huh. Which which actually would be something I would have got too far quicker if we'd talked about alcohol. Of course that's going to change your perception of reality because you're drunk off your ass or whatever it might, however it manifests. But actually with food, it's putting a distance between you and what you have to deal with and face. It's putting a distance between you and you. So if I wake up in the morning and I feel excited about going to work because I love my job and I feel really hopeful about what I might achieve that day and I'm really open to what's going to happen, then I will eat in order to be properly fueled for the day. Mm. I might enjoy what I eat, but fundamentally I eat what's Mm. required. I go to work and I function. But if I don't feel good enough... If I have what people call anxiousness, so maybe I feel resentful that things are a bit difficult for me or um, I run late and then I feel ashamed because I think everybody's going to think it's because I don't care or there's something wrong with me, whatever it is, I'll eat on those feelings Mm. in order to defend against feeling the natural emotions that might come up as a result. Mm. I would rather feel disgusting. I would rather feel full. I would rather feel hungry so that I can control what I'm feeling Mm. than feel nervous about what you might think of me because I can't control that. Mm. So if I convert my feelings into one of hunger, I can control it. Hmm. Even if you think an overeater can't control what they eat, Mm. what they're trying to do is control their appetite, which ultimately is their emotional appetite. Am I being too existential? Does it make sense? Kind of, kind of. Can I pick up on the fact that when you... Pick up on anything. I mean, welcome to my world. I've lived in, I live in these thoughts all the time. So please, yes, unpick, slow Um, me down, ask the questions. When you said anxiety, I detected a, um, I detected something. Perhaps a little bit of anxiety eye roll. Yes. What's that about? So anxiousness exists. However, if all you describe yourself as feeling is anxious, you will not know anything else about how you feel if you believe that that's the word to describe how you feel. And the medical model will approve it by legitimising it, giving you an anxiety disorder and the associated medication. But where does that get you, except for in the dead end of believing you have anxiousness, 
whatever that means, and you have to be medicated for it or you're going to have to live with this legacy for the rest of your life. Mm. I'm very interested in unpicking the emotions, not the feelings, the emotions that exist in anxiousness. Mm. Often fear of not being good enough, anger and not knowing how to cope with your anger. So instead of feeling angry, you repress it and that energy turns into a nervous energy. Mm. Um, shame. I'm not, I don't feel good enough and I don't know how to deal with that. Mm. I mean, the legitimate fears, there's the legitimate nerves, there's all of that legitimate stuff, but we amplify it by how we feel about ourselves mm. and then call it anxiousness. And I would say, Really hesitate before you describe yourself as anxious and try to use the emotions to describe how you feel instead. Mm. Because if you know you feel ashamed, if you know you feel fear, then there are things you can do to address those things, to heal them, to make them better. I'm glad you said this because I've noticed a trend of um, people identifying as their mental health diagnosis, whether that's depression or anxiety to sort of say the big two. And I've talked on this podcast when I, not long after I started this podcast, I was um, diagnosed with severe depression and severe anxiety. And when somebody said to me recently, but you'll always be those things, I got really annoyed with them and said, actually, I do a lot of work not to be, because for me, they were labels of something, they were a springboard to move away from that state of mind and that feeling, not something that I could forever more use as an excuse for why my life wasn't going the way that I wanted it to go. I didn't want to sit in those diagnoses, mm. but I have definitely noticed uh, in speaking to friends and sort of observing other things on social media that if somebody is diagnosed as anxious, they then, it's like, well, that that's who I am now. It's like... Yeah, anxious full stop. Yes. I mean, I think I would wake up with, with through the 12-step fellowships and so on, whether mm. that's for any addictive process. Um, when you look at uh, step four and you take a fearless moral inventory of yourself, you might realise that you have a lot of self-centred fear, is what we would call it in the mm. fellowships. Um, so if I know I wake up in the morning and I have that feeling that some people might describe as anxiousness, if I say I feel anxious, there's a sort of victim state I fall into. I feel anxious, oh my God, what am I going to do? But if I say I'm full of self-centred fear, I can go, okay, okay, what do you need, Mandy? Mm. What do you need to get your feet on the floor to know you're good enough and have a shot at your day today. So there's a very practical hand-holding, back to the word reality, uh, process if I call those feelings fear, self-centred fear, because I can say, what are you afraid of? Mm. What am I actually frightened of today? I'm frightened of not being good enough. Well, you are the best you can be. I can find ways to reassure myself more easily if I know precisely what it is I'm suffering from. And for me, anxious is a catch-all because I could be angry, sad, tired, ashamed or afraid if I'm anxious. What about someone who's listening to this who thinks, I'm never going to sit, I'm never going to stand in the kitchen in front of the toaster saying, what's really going on here, Barbara? Really? Yeah. I do. <laughs> Although my name's not Barbara, obviously. <laughs> no. um, I do. Yes. But Absolutely. I wake up in the morning and the first thing, I mean, okay, I've done this for nearly 30 years now. I know. Um, and I'm only just getting good at it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. Uh, 
I wake up in the morning and the first thing I'm doing in the morning when my first alarm goes off in those first 10 minutes when I'm not getting up yet, mm. but I'm awake, yeah. is I have a little body scan and I'm like, how are you? It's like slipping an arm around all the little parts of myself and going, everybody up? We all good? What's going on? And, you know, some days it's just like, no, no, it's dark. I don't like it. And I'm like, I know, but don't worry. And I don't know. I collect myself. Mm. And if there's a bit of me that's not feeling great, I know it, which means that I can take responsibility for it. So, yes, before you stand in front of the toaster and the lovely smell of warm toast is popping into the room <laughs> and you think I'll have two buttered pieces, not one, um, you want to know how you feel. So if I wake up in the morning and I know I'm still angry from yesterday and something really unfair happened and I didn't sleep well as a result, I know I'm at risk of overeating mm. because I need the carbs to compensate for the low energy and because there's a bit of me that's just going, I don't care. Why bother? That sort of self-pity, mm, stamp footy mm. bit of me that might then say, I don't care, I'm going to eat whatever I want today. But if I do that, I might feel all right about it for two or three days. By the weekend, I'm like, damn, why did I do that? Mm. So I need to really think about whether I want to indulge myself to have my equivalent to the family pack of crisps, which I'm allowed. Why shouldn't I? I'm a normal human being or whether I'm self-harming through it. And the only way I know that I am self-harming through my food or through any of these other disorders is if I know how I feel mm. and I care about myself. Mm. Okay, so if I actually really care about me, and I don't mean the kind of, you're so hot. I mean the kind of... Never thought I'd see you do that, Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> but if I, if I actually say, you know, I'm in, I'm in my corner... Mm. I am in my corner. I care about me. I was there when I was a little girl. I saw all that stuff. I've lived through all of that. I've got my arms around myself. Why would I want to hurt myself? Yes, you can have a bar of chocolate on the, on if you want one. Mm. Of course you can, but you can't have one every day. Why? Because it's not good for you. Mm. You know, <laughs> I know you want it, but you can't have it. Mm. And that's okay. That's me loving, caring about myself. I'm mm. not going to punish myself. I'm not going to ask myself to live an unrealistically perfect life. I'm allowed to snap at people. I'm allowed to be rude to people. I'm allowed to stomp off. I'm allowed to cry. I'm allowed to, you know, eat sweet things. But I'm also allowed to have lots and lots and lots of good, healthy, regular, ordinary, uneventful, non-dramatic days. Mm. I'm allowed those too. And those happen when you check in with yourself? Oh, gosh, yes. Those happen. Those happen a lot. I, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they said, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. I mean, I'm really all right. I have no drama in my life. I am very happy, very stable. Everything feels very ordered and good in my life. Lots of people around me have got <laughs> chaos and drama, but not me. Ah, well, that's really key, isn't it? Is the fact that there can be drama around you. Yeah. But you are the, you stay. Still. Yeah. Because it's not happening to me. It's happening to the yous in my world. And I can be shoulder to shoulder with them and I can be there for them, whether they're my children, my family, my friends, people I work with. Um, but it's not my drama. Mm. It's not. Let's uh, unpick something else you said then. You talked about the little girl and you just did yeah. a program on Channel 5 about, um, mm. I've forgotten the name of it now, but it was... Addicted to food. Addicted to food. Yeah. Um, and you spoke to a lovely lady who, honestly, oh, I just want to hug her. Yeah, she was great. Um, her whole family was lovely, actually. Yeah. 
I was about to say something really inappropriate then, but especially her son. (laughs) Quite good biceps. Yeah, they were gorgeous. Mm. They were all three of them gorgeous. They, but the typical thing, and I know they won't mind me uh, talking about this. The typical thing happened, whereby um, the program was initially about um, obesity. And uh, looking at people who were very straightforward, addicted to food. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I went to meet her. I had five days with her only and her family. Really? Yeah. And I went to meet her. And honestly, within about half an hour of meeting her, we were already working. We were already gaining traction around uh, how to help her get well. Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't interested in the food. I mean it's quite clear that food was her drug of choice. But I'm thinking in order for you to have a drug of choice, which is a really interesting phrase, really, given that it's a compulsive condition. But anyway, in if you have a drug of choice, then you must be medicating, self-medicating or mm. attempting to self-medicate something. So when I meet someone who is as obviously overweight and struggling as she was with the unhappiness that was existing in that house, I'm thinking, what's going on? that's not being dealt with because this is just a big cover-up it's Mm. like a big red herring Mm. so if I were to go in there and focus on the food and focus on meal plans and focus on controlling the food I would be trying to put fires out rather than turning off the gas that creates the fire right right Mm -hmm. so I got five days I need to find the gas Mm -hmm. so I'm in there going okay let's just I get the fact that you're hiding food let's look at all the food but what's going on with you Mm. and I discovered children who were worried about mm. mum they knew she was unhappy they knew she wasn't in good self-care um, everybody was isolating everybody was frightened of uh, saying anything for fear of making it worse so everybody was left to uh, sit in their own rooms hidden in plain view mm. and uh, one of the big moments was when uh, she agreed to let me look into the corners of her house, Mm. which of course were the corners of her, which is where she'd stuffed all her memories uh, in the same way that she stuffed down her feelings by eating food. Mm. So in releasing all those rooms and all those memories and clearing all those things up, um, well, in in clearing up her rooms, it released the memories, which allowed us then to access those memories, help her to face them, Uh, which meant that there was less to self-medicate. Do you understand that? So she had some crying to do. She had some reality checking to do. And when I went into those rooms that were full of stuff, her kids were really worried. And I think they thought that I just pushed my way in there without Mm. her permission. Um, So they were very worried because apparently she doesn't let anybody into those rooms. But she actually invited me, which I thought was so brave. Mm. I was sort of running around the room going... Because it was like, yay, she's going to, uh, she was on board with me Mm. against her eating disorder. So Cara and I held hands Mm. whilst we tackled the addiction, which had otherwise held that whole house hostage. And once I had her, the person on board, trusting me, then we were always going to win. What if someone listens to this and thinks, surely my relationship with food can't be that deep? It's not about stuffed down memories. What would you say to that? Because well, I saw there was sort of a bit of blowback on Twitter about the fact that you said, let's talk to the little girl in you. Let's make her feel safe. And I've done a lot of these sorts of podcasts. I've spoken to people like you for many years. So for me, that doesn't surprise me. But for a lot of people, it can seem like, A, just tell her not to eat the crisps. 
Do you see what I mean? Totally. I mean, if just telling her not to eat the crisps worked, mm. then rock on. Okay. Mm -hmm. But most of the time when people have got an established eating disorder, whether that's overeating, mm -hmm. um, whether that's eating and then making yourself sick or using laxatives, mm -hmm. or whether that's starving yourself so that you have no appetite, once you've gone past the get a grip form of counselling and it hasn't worked, then clearly try something else. Mm. And the get a grip school of counselling is dangerous. I mean, everybody needs to try it. I get that. Mm. You know, come on, I need to try these diets. I need to push them. I need to punish. I need to force. I need to control. Um, but once that hasn't worked, be honest with yourself. Say, okay, I've tried it. I need to try something else. And I don't think there's any harm in going the distance. Mm. It's not going to cause you any harm learning how to have a compassionate relationship with yourself. I mean, I know it's a bit touchy-feely. And I mean, I grew up in a family where nobody mentioned feelings at all, ever. You never washed your dirty linen in public. And it was all self-indulgent navel-gazing and all of that sort of stuff. That's what I grew up with. So I was uh, completely 180 degrees to you know what I was mm. brought up with. Um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. As long as you don't stay in the navel gazing yes. part of, you know, of this process, you don't say, oh, it's my inner child. That's why I've got to eat. It's not the point. Point is, if get a grip doesn't work, then get your arms around yourself. Develop a happy, loving, compassionate relationship with yourself so that you can take responsibility and get on with your life to the best of your ability today. Mm. Whatever it is that gets you into today functioning can, with content and without self-harm, I'm in. Now, one of the obvious things about overeating or undereating is how it manifests physically. It becomes visible. But this isn't about... The conversation that we're having today isn't about what one looks like. And it's not about um, what dress size you are or how much you weigh or anything like that. It really is about that uh, function of and motive for eating in a certain way that is hiding um, or burying feelings however that might yes. manifest it's burying feelings and it's also converting them so if i feel if i'm an anorexic if i feel sad i will express that as feeling fat right okay because mm. i don't want to feel sad because mm. if i feel sad i don't feel that you my parents or you my peer group will understand or comfort me um i don't i don't know how to receive that comfort mm. And so I don't know how to have that feeling. Mm. So what I do is I convert it into something physical, which I can then control. Mm. And I honestly believe that. And then everybody goes, but you're not fat. And then mm. people say, oh, I don't want to use the word fat. And I can't comment on what you look like because mm. that'll trigger you. So then everybody's walking on eggshells. So as the anorexic, I'm not eating and I've stopped you from saying anything. And every emotion I have, I convert, I convert into a physical thing, which we can all then worry about and argue about. So guess what? My emotions get completely ignored. Mm. So it is a distraction away. It is a conversion into something physical, which then everybody will look at because obviously food is something we need. So therefore it's legitimate to treat it um, importantly if somebody's mm. not eating or if somebody's overeating. We have to look at what they're physically eating. Mm. Um, but it's not the whole picture. Mm. So uh, what you do in order to get somebody well is you get the food in line so that uh, they're eating properly, then you convert I feel fat into I feel shame and then or sad, mm. and then you teach that person how to have that feeling in a healthy way. 
So you're kind of backtracking somebody into their emotional selves so that they don't have to use food to self-medicate. And it's the same. And by the way, it's the same for all three classic eating disorders. There are many other forms as well, but Mm. the three main ones, if you like. Um, And quite often somebody will be anorexic and end up an overeater or somebody will be an overeater and they will end up bulimic. Mm. Usually if you have one, stick around long enough, you will end up with all three. Crikey. And it's really sick because lots of people, when they get to the overeating phase, say, I preferred it when I was anorexic because at least I was thin. So there's all this kind of dysfunctional thinking that allows people to stay in the eating mm. disorder arena, bouncing between being uh, between restricting through to eating and making. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Making yourself sick or using laxatives or exercise to burn it off. Um, into the binge eating or the chronic overeating. Mm. And it is all about self-loathing and dysfunctional relationship with self. Because this isn't just a bag of crisps. This isn't just stop eating, you know, all that bread, for goodness sake. Why Mm. do you constantly eat takeaways? This is about day in, day out, knowingly putting food into my mouth or starving myself in a way that I know is going to cause me health problems. But guess what? I just don't care. Mm. Why? Why don't you care? That's interesting to me. Mm. Why don't you care? Why don't you care about you? That's a very big question, isn't it? Yeah, it is a big question. It really puts the brakes on when I'm at a dinner party. <laughs> Why don't you I'm care open for you? invitations because nobody asks me anymore. You and I are the perfect dinner party <laughs> yes. guests. You get asked about your work and I can tell you about celebrity weddings from when I used to work on uh, magazines. Um, oh that, will keep, that will keep a dinner party going. Okay. All right. Now, a lot of my listeners, I mean, listeners, this is not about me. I'm always trying to make this show about you. But a lot of you know that I have read this book um, earlier uh, at the end of last year called Brain Over Binge. And many, many, many listeners got in touch. And I did a special mini episode about it just to explain my experience. And I didn't say what I do. Um, I didn't, I just said, this is the book. And this is why I think it could be potentially a value because I had so many questions about it. You know about this book. And the way I described it to you when we had lunch a few weeks ago was it was, I read it in one sitting and it was like a software update. And when I rebooted, I felt like I fundamentally, you can't see her face listeners. I felt like I fundamentally had a different relationship with food, but 
I read that book and I see that book as a domino and there were a line of dominoes that kind of and it was just in the right sequence at the right time because as listeners know I spent a lot of money getting a breast reduction so I had invested in my body financially which is one of the triangles one of the pyramid or the triangle um I had my picture taken next to Elizabeth Hurley. That's going to do it. Um, and so all these little dominoes fell into place. That's how I feel when I have my picture taken with you. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I always come off worse. No, oh, well. you don't. You absolutely don't. You'll have to argue with that. Um, this <laughs> Please <is> a... <laughs> vote, listeners. <laughs> um, but it was a domino, it was a domino yes. effect and that book hit me at the right time. Had I read it six, month pr- six months prior, sorry, it's my Invisalign listeners, um, would it have had the same impact? I don't know. But fundamentally, it changed my thinking because it gave me it gave me an understanding to go all the times you're at home and you think, I know, I'll see what I can make from that spelt flour, that one egg, a bit of oat milk and something else. And I turn into an alchemist in my own kitchen. Just made me go, that's ridiculous. Stop it. Um, And as you say, bank the good stuff. But is that is it possible to just do that or do you need to keep doing the work well the reason you saw my face do what it did when you said it was actually simply because you said you read it in one sitting oh (laughs) which is the overeater okay which is you you do the whole thing in one sitting if you were anorexic you'd have read it over a year that is do you see what i mean I do. I just couldn't. I read Harry Potter in one sitting. There you go. (laughs) But this is it. This is what I mean about the condition being literally uh, in everything that you do. Ah. So this all or nothing, the binge eater, the overeater will do things in one sitting. Right. (laughs) I thought you thought. No. (laughs) The book was rubbish. (laughs) No, no, I don't. But the other thing is, no, what works works. Cool. Whatever works works. Mm. Right. The other thing is that as with therapy, as with anything, I think it is an accumulation of everything that we have done so far. And to make anything the magic bullet is a mistake. Mm -hmm. And I think that, yes, timing, where we are in our lives, what we've had up to that point when you meet that word, that person, read that book, have that experience, it feels like that was it. That's what changed my life. Most of the time, it's just the last in a long line of, you know, drips Mm. that's just finally had enough pressure to make everything fall into place. So um, we often say it about treatment and about therapy, which is people come in and say, wow, I've done this for years, but you're the one who's done it. Mm. Um, And it's to say, well, that's very nice to hear and everything, but actually it's unlikely. Mm. It's just I managed to come after a long line of other people and, uh, and therefore it all fell into place. So I think these books... Uh, I think books, what I would say to people is take it without the expectation that it will have the effect on you that it had on Emma. Agreed, yeah. But um, it's obviously useful. It's obviously got uh, mileage in it. So fill up your tank, Mm. you know, have it, put it in there and keep investing in yourself. Don't ever give up. Don't ever think that oh, because this book didn't work for me and it worked for somebody else, what's the point? I'm no good. You're just in a different place, a different time in your own journey. And at some point, if you keep going, you will get there. Mm. Of course you will. If someone's listening to this and they do feel like they... My my uh, comment to people always used to be, I can't be in a room with a buffet because I know it's there. So I have to have my back to it. Weddings, buffet, weddings, anything like that dr- used to drive me nuts if I could see the buffet. 
ridiculous, stupid. And I say it is like an addiction. It is like an addiction. Yeah. If somebody is still in that space and they're, maybe they've done all the diets you can think of, all the ones that give you the special offer at New Year and everything, and they work for a short amount of time, but they always relapse. And I've been there and you can really beat your, use those as sticks to beat yourself with quite hard. What would you say to somebody? Okay, well, you've tried all of that. Why not go and speak to somebody about your relationship with food? Why not? Why not? Instead of going on a diet, why not go into therapy? Yes, but I would say, why don't you go and speak to somebody about your relationship with yourself? Yes. <laughs> I mean, the buffet's got a lot of power there. It's um, it's controlling your feelings about going to the wedding or the event. It's controlling your positioning in the room. Uh, it's calling you from a big distance, even when your back is turned. So I'm thinking, uh, what's it doing for you? Is it telling you, I'll give you something to do. I'll take away your feelings of social anxiety. I'll take away the feeling that you're just standing there waiting to be found out as a fraud. I'll take away, you know, mm. what what role is it do you think it's performing for you in exactly the same way that an alcoholic um, will go to a wedding and go straight for a, a drink or go mm. to an event and need a drink in their hand? And it looks like an addiction to alcohol, but what it is actually usually is somebody running away from uh, being amongst a group of people and feeling vulnerable mm. because usually... Um, that person doesn't feel good enough. They think that they're not funny enough. They think they're going to be left standing. They can't bear the thought of um, being seen to be a sort of Johnny No Mates. So these big events, which are meant to be celebrations, have got a lot of fear in them for people mm. who have issues around their self-esteem, either socially in, in relation to other people or because of themselves and how they feel about themselves so what they do is they displace that onto yearning for something they can control in mm. inverted commas food mm. alcohol you know getting off with the best man i mean whatever it is <laughs> <laughs> but whatever it is that will become their attentional bias at that event because it takes them away from just simply being amongst other people the same as everybody else and vulnerable. Mm. And that's where the action is. You get that bit sorted and you quieten the voice of the buffet. You're not fighting with the food. It's not about the food. Mm. You're fighting with yourself. Yeah. And it's difficult. It's, you know, go and see a therapist. And, you know, and some therapists are very, very good. Some therapists aren't so good. But it is a real personal choice. You need to go to see somebody, not because of the letters after their name, although make sure you go to somebody who's qualified, mm. but you need to click because whilst that therapist is listening to you talking, you'll be fine. But when they start giving you feedback, if you don't respect them, you don't want to go back. Mm. So when you meet your therapist, make sure you're prepared to listen to their direction and their feedback. Uh which means that they'll actually be able to help you because at some point, if you have a food addiction or an eating disorder or you use food to help you cope to the detriment of yourself, when we start putting a gap between uh, the food and the emotions, you're going to start bristling. You're not going to like it. Some part of you is going to be looking at me, picking holes in me as your therapist. Mm. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's being too hard on me. It's only food. Why is she being so petty? Oh, my God, this is going a bit <laughs> far. All that stuff's going to kick in. Um, and if you trust me and you know I know what I'm talking about and if you respect me and are prepared to 
just give my way a chance, then we have got a chance of um, overcoming what otherwise I think is one of the most chronic addictive um, disorders out there. It's hidden in plain view. People underestimate it. People body shame people. Um, When you have an eating disorder, you feel like such a fool because you use the thing that everybody else seems to be able to cope with and manage on a daily basis. So the shame is off the scale Mm. for people who have eating disorders. They feel like, what is wrong with me that I can't eat like everybody else? So it's very difficult to own. It's very difficult uh, to get well from because ultimately you've got to learn controlled using. Try telling that to an alcoholic or a drug addict. Mm. So we're really asking people to do the impossible. We're asking people to own the fact that they use something so every day as a coping mechanism. We're asking people to own that they can't cope with how they feel. And we're asking people to control something that otherwise would be their drug of choice not long after i read the book i also watched a series um it's quite old now you would never ever get away with it now i think it's about eight years old Uh, anna richardson's the host and it was secret eaters and i started watching that and that again was another sort of mini domino because it was essentially how people they'll say to the featured people how many calories do you think you eat a day? And they'll say, oh, around 1,200. I barely eat. I miss meals. And then they do secret filming and you that person then gets confronted with the fact, well, actually you're eating 4,000 calories a day. And uh, we got we surveilled you going through the drive through three times this week or whatever it might be. But um, the thing that was really interesting in all of those episodes is the displacement, the, the dishonesty between the reality and what they'll tell people, which comes back to that point of, that's the first point isn't it is understanding not not about your calorie intake but having that frank conversation with yourself whether it's at the toaster or in the mirror and saying am I being re am I being honest about this relationship with food am I being honest about what I'm doing with food is that the one of the first steps do you think yeah I mean with any addictive disorder I think that there are 12 core characteristics and two of them begin with d one is deceit Mm. and the other is denial And denial isn't denying that I have an issue with food. It's denying the specifics of it. Right. So it's universalizing. Everybody does it. Generalizing. It's not that bad. Minimizing. I only did it once. Mm. Exaggerating. I am the worst. And all of them avoid reality. So if you are um, finding it hard to shift weight or you're perpetually putting on weight, you can stand in front of the mirror and say, I know I must be eating more then I am admitting to myself Mm. because the reality is it's turning up in your weight Mm. or in your sluggishness or in your lack of weight or in how much you're being sick or in the fact that, you know, I've known people with eating disorders with bulimia, for example, who would say that they don't take laxatives. And then it turns out that they're taking lots of laxatives Mm. And they say, well, I've always taken these things. They're, you know, they're nutritional um, supports. They just help me keep moving. And I'm like, that's a laxative. Um, But because there is a fear of not having the eating disorder there, because then I would have all my feelings. And honestly, I don't know how to cope with being me, Mm. that actually I will get in the way of help. I will lie, not because I'm trying to get away with it, but because I'm lying to myself. And deep down, I am 
genuinely terrified. Mm. What about somebody who go, goes up and down, the yo-yoer, and again, they're beating themselves up every time they get to the... Uh, they, their weight goes up, but maybe... And I'm, again, obviously talking from personal experience here. I had this misapprehension... Uh, or not apprehension. I can't even find my words. I can't blame, blame the Invisalign listeners. I had this belief that if I lost weight, then when I got there to a goal weight, I could, behave, I could do whatever I liked. That, that was the problem solved. And it's taken... And one of the reasons why... One of the dominoes was, you're 42 in a few weeks. This was before Christmas. Um you don't want to be doing this again at 50 Emma get your shit together and sort this out so that was another one of the crucial dominoes I think of just because you lose weight doesn't mean you can then eat whatever the hell you like which is what I had always sort of thought once I get the weight off then I won't really put it back on and I know having spoken to friends and listeners as well they sometimes feel like that too like you put all this effort into getting down you put all this effort to follow a diet and then you do want to release but again you're just going back to yeah old habits and I think the whole idea about losing weight brackets so I'll find it again (laughs) (laughs) it's this it's this kind of focus on the weight Mm. rather than saying you know how am I happy or most content um what way of living is a healthy way of living that feels respectful and uh manageable and sustainable am i prepared to live like that you know for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. rather than this kind of punitive diet even if it's subtle it's no i'm not going to have that because i'm on a diet i'm trying to lose weight Mm. um instead of just finding uh a way of living that suits you and trusting your body to adjust accordingly Mm. because sometimes the body will react. So if you're anorexic or particularly actually if you're bulimic, um, your body will be trying to hold on to nutrients. So Mm. when people uh, start eating healthily, they put on a lot of weight Mm. because the body's got used to trying to hold on to whatever it can in anticipation of losing it Mm. very quickly after it goes in. So it might take a year for a body to uh, balance out after a long period of um, of bulimia. Mm. I also know that when somebody has been clinically obese, uh, it takes a long time for the brain to adjust to allow you to lose the weight. So they always say in bariatric that bariatric surgery. Um, <laughs> that there is psychological work that needs to be done as well. Otherwise, the brain believes that the body is still at the weight it was prior to the surgery. So it will set the body up to have the appetite it had to maintain that weight. So you need to retrain kind of mind, body, emotion and Mm. soul Mm. if you're going to do something. You know, you're, you're a complete machine and to overlook any aspect of it will set you up to have difficulty in that arena. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So um, I think the the yo-yoing weight is because people focus on weight loss rather than, okay, I've been yo-yoing for years. I've been dieting for years. I want to figure out the foods I like. I want to schedule them in. So what do I like? What are the sorts of things I like for breakfast? What are the sorts of things I like for lunch and supper? Um, What are the sorts of snacks I like? Okay, those things are all right. They're okay. That matches with that. That would be good on a day with that. If I work it like that, Mm. over a week, I can pretty much have what I want. Mm -hmm. As long as I have it in these proportions. Um, 
and then notice the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger. Mm. So if I'm bored, I might feel hungry and feel like I want to eat because I'm bored. Whereas actually, if you're bored, it's often a feeling of I should be doing something. Why am I not doing something? Mm. Am I such a nobody that I haven't got anything to do? Why is everybody else doing? There's a whole load of emotions in there. Maybe you'd be, I mean, it's a good old fashioned way of putting it, but maybe what you need to do is to say yes when people ask you to go and do something instead of no. Mm. Uh, looking at hobbies or joining a local community. Get out of my head, Mandy. <laughs> you know. Go and do something. I was with somebody on uh, Saturday night. We were we were out and she said to me, you know, have you got any hobbies? And I said, not many. She said, well, what would you do if you had lots of time? And I went, anything. And she went, what, <laughs> anything? I said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just interested. I'm a sort of say yes person. So do you want to go for a walk up the mountain? Yes, I'll go and do that. Do you want to go riding? Yeah, I'll give that a go. Do you want to try pottery? Yeah, I'll give that a shot. You know, do you fancy coming meeting me for coffee? Yeah, all right. Why wouldn't I? I was just saying to uh, the podcast guest who went live yesterday that I had made my world quite small at the end of last year because there had been a lot of no's and no Yeah. And so I went into January and went, yes, do everything. And I'm going to start asking people to meet me for coffee. Yes. And I'm going to make my world big again because I can. Yes. We just, all can. Yeah. We all can. People are so, we were saying before we started about being time poor and being under pressure and having things to do all the time. And I think we forget to feed our souls. And therefore, when our souls get hungry, we push screens and food and booze and all these things down them to shut them up when actually what we're looking for is connection. Mm. So connect. Get out there and connect. Yeah, absolutely. And understand who, and I do want to keep coming back to this, uh, the relationship with yourself, because yeah. I think, I know a lot of my listeners are women and a lot of women are quite good at making sure that everyone else's needs are met and perhaps then don't look at look after their own as much. They'll prioritise others. Uh, particularly I know with mothers listening to this. So it's not a selfish thing to do. I know we're going to get back to your lovely, healthy, selfish. <laughs> but it's not selfish to actually have this conversation and do that work and give yourself this time, is it? I actually think it's vital because um, those people out there who are mums or um, the women, maybe the men, who are prioritising other people's needs over their own is all well and good until you look in the mirror and get really honest and notice the resentment you feel for being taken for granted mm. and the resentment you feel for feeling unappreciated and that everybody's giving you the runaround and nobody seems to care how you feel. Well, likelihood is, bluntly speaking, you set it up that way. Mm -hmm. So to release those people you love from the uh, brunt end of your resentment, <laughs> please please take care of your own needs as well mm. because it means that then you're free to give to the people you love without condition and that may mean uh going for a run that may mean um making your whole family eat healthily my <laughs> since uh, my oldest son went traveling uh, my younger son is now left in the house with two vegetarians <laughs> much to his horror <laughs> And I keep saying to him, yeah, Ian, you won't notice if you're eating vegetarian. I will, he says, as he pokes curiously over the food <laughs> to see if he can spot if it's meat or if it's vegetarian. Um, it's interesting. Why would, when you're cooking, check 
what everybody else wants first and then eat what they want mm. what they want why not lead the way and say i like this let me introduce you to what i like mm. um and go for your run and meet your friend for coffee and take your downtime when you want to mm. sit in your garden chair and feel the sun on your face for half an hour enjoy the home that you've made mm. you too it's really important because otherwise um you will be running on empty and nobody's going to fill you up Nobody else will fill you up. Uh, it's our jobs to do that. Mm. Emotional emptiness as well as that. Well, emotional emptiness, which then leads you... I mean, I have known lots... In fact, there's a very interesting link between alcoholism and eating disorders um, later on in life, so late 30s, early 40s, uh, that they're very connected. So I've known lots of people, mainly women actually, who are bulimic and alcoholics. So they'll come in because they're alcoholic. Uh, but when they are feeling bored, low in self-esteem, unappreciated, unseen, and they've done all their fitness regime and their body perfect and all of that, they have their hand in the cookie jar um, and then they eat and then they feel dreadful and then they drink and then they make themselves sick and they wake up in the morning. Of course, they're absolutely starving. So then they overeat again. Mm. And then and this cycle goes on and on and on. And they are hidden in plain view because they are body perfect, probably living in a nice smart house. Everything looks good on the outside. They feel wretched on the inside mm. and somewhere in there at some point in that cycle you just have to say stop stop this is not good for me I need to take care of me I need to eat healthily slow right down and take care of me as a priority otherwise I will suffer and by default everyone around me suffers and, and without wanting to sound twee it's that, that little it's that thing of being able to say I like myself isn't it yeah is that where we come back to well interesting you use the word like why not love uh Emma I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I mean what is wrong I'm not talking about the 1980s cheesy I love myself mm. but I mean love yourself like you would love you know a small child love love why would you not really care about yourself mm. if you really care about yourself and you really make sure that you are taken care of as a priority when you're around other people they don't have to worry about you mm. they can just enjoy your company mm. they can take whatever you offer mm. because you've taken care of you you come to the table with the capacity to share not empty mm. That's what I mean by loving yourself. Yeah. And then if you upset me, I've got some shock absorber in me to bounce that. Mm. Um, it's unlikely that you'll be able to mortally wound me as my friend or my partner or my child even um, with one nasty comment. Does um, any addictive behaviour, food or otherwise, come with a, a hypersensitivity to other people's Absolutely. opinions? Because I've abandoned myself. So... I don't like how I feel. I don't like um, who I am. I don't feel safe. So I pretend to be somebody I'm not. And in order to pretend to be somebody I'm not, whether that is an overachiever, a people pleaser, whether that's don't worry about me, let's worry about you, uh, whatever my chosen facade is, in order to keep that going, I have to repress how I actually feel. And that's where the food or the booze or mm. the self-harming mm. behaviours come in. So they help me to, to keep that 
real, if you like, version of myself repressed and shut up mm. and buried somewhere so I can get on with pretending to be someone that I think is better than me or is a version of me I want to take into the world. So, of course, because I'm not in my own skin, I'm highly attuned to what other people think of me and I'll try and adapt to people, mm. please, uh, because I feel insecure in myself. I've already abandoned my own skin and left it buried somewhere. This is my chosen other skin. Mm. So, yes, I am super sensitive. So to release you from that uh, power of being able to crush me or or put me up on the heights like Caesar in the ring, um, I'll take care of me. Mm. And if I love me anyway, then you've got the freedom to dislike me or like me. It's fine. You can make your own. It makes a difference. Of course I care, Mm. but it's not going to crush me. Mm. And if enough people say that I'm a bit of an ass, then I'll hear it and I'll go and work on it and Mm. see if there's any truth in it. But it doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm crushed. It also means that if loads and loads of people applaud, I can sort of raise an eyebrow and go, well, they can't, clearly can't see me properly. <laughs> you know, the attempt to put someone on a pedestal isn't a rightful place either. Do, do you see what I mean? Mm. If I just love me and I just know who I am, then that's good enough. Mm. And it's up to you what you think of me. Yeah, it is good enough. It's, for some reason, I'm thinking, I wonder, I wonder what you would do if you won an Oscar. Because I've always been really curious if the crying is because somebody has suddenly got validation that they're not giving themselves, that they perhaps don't like themselves very much. And so when a whole industry then goes, no, you're the best, they have a very outward, over-emotional reaction. I think, I, I have no idea. I think that the whole thing is um, such a kind of contrived event that I wonder if anything is real within yes. it. I mean, you know, it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, it is what it is. Yes. I mean, what is an Oscar? What is the Nobel Peace Prize? I mean, which would you rather get? It's just an obvious <laughs> emotional display. So I've uh, been curious about it for a while. I tell you, when I cry, I cry when um, in assembly... <laughs> If one of my children got a prize or got acknowledged, I'm like that. Ah, well done. Don't ever. Well, okay. Have you ever YouTubed um, soldiers returning from war and being reuni- reunited with their dogs? No, but thanks that, for that. That makes me cry. Yeah, I love all those sorts of things. It's really, really worth just you know. Every now and then. I think there's a lot of politics about um, industry acknowledgements and so on mm. as well. There are chosen people and the favoured few and so on. So, uh, but yeah, I quite, I quite like those, um, instinctive responses. I tell you what made me laugh. A friend of mine sent me, uh, um, one of those YouTube videos and there was a whippet dancing (laughs) and they'd written, I've been obsessing over this for about an hour. And I looked at it and I looked at it again because they'd obsessing over it. And I thought, yeah, because it was just right in the moment and funny so right in the moment and funny and right in the moment um and and sad Mm. is the sort of stuff that gets me and my children other than that i'm pretty good (laughs) (laughs) so just bringing it back to food addiction because our time is drawn to a close the thing that i think i've come away from this with is when i sat down to prepare for this i had too many a4 sheets of paper and it's the first time i went right i'm actually not going to take any of these in because we're not going to have a conversation that goes anywhere if I'm constantly saying, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? And I, I hope that what I, what I've got from this is that actually 
it is really complex. Fundamentally, it's complex. But in dealing with it, it doesn't have to be complicated. There are actually some quite simple steps. You don't have to feel as though you're trying, you don't feel as though you're having to take on this huge task. It's just a few simple things that will get you on the way. Yes, I think where it becomes harder in a way is for the parents and family members of somebody who has an eating disorder, probably more the anorexic than any. Mm. And they talk about um, mealtimes being a battleground and the focus inevitably is on the food. Why won't they just eat? Mm. And it's really counterintuitive, but less the question, why can't they eat? More the question, what's going on? Mm. And so often with eating disorders, there will be a parent who is um, too close, over enmeshing, too sympathetic, um, too much trying to fix. And the person with the eating disorder will pull back and back and back into what they know is unreasonable patterns of behaviour, but they can't help themselves for fear of um, the parent coming up with the answer and taking over. So if you are a parent of somebody who has an eating disorder, I would suggest to you to um, have a session, one session with a therapist yourself and see the impact that that eating disorder is having on you, not on your child, but on you and on your ability to feel like a good enough parent and to consider the difference between healthy helping, mm -hmm. trusting your child standing beside and supporting them into recovery over rushing into rescue or punish or fix. The latter will um, perpetuate the eating disorder and the former will feel counterintuitive and really hard to do. But as far as I am aware, it is the most powerful way to support your child, but you will need help to do it mm -hmm. because it feels like, it often feels to parents like they are not being a good enough parent when they mm. behave in that way. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel for the families because the eating disorder is often a reaction against the family dynamic because mm. it starts so young. Um, so for families, I'd say very quickly accept that, get help for yourselves first and then help your child overcome their pattern of... Uh, of trying to cope in such a dysfunctional way. Mm, put your oxygen mask on absolutely you or someone else. Yeah, and also, oh, anorexia and um, bulimia with overeating. I feel like that's actually something that could affect a lot of people. Perhaps yeah. the majority of people listening have episodes of overeating. Yeah, but this work is still valid for that listener too. Absolutely. And I would just say again and again and again, if you really do care about yourself, then you won't be doing this to yourself. And those of you who are saying, oh, don't be ridiculous. That's, you know, honestly, that's just ridiculous. I'm not that bad and all of those sorts of things. It makes me want to ask you, who said that to you when you were a little girl? Who said that to you when you were a little boy? Come on, don't be ridiculous. It's not that bad. Mm. And I wonder if you're trotting out the same line to shut yourself up that somebody said to you and I say push back do what you need to do to craft the life you're happy living healthy connected with others mm. it's got to be worth it 
really has thank you so much thank you for asking me oh your time was always so just i love spending time with you you know that and thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about this um we've also got some other shows that we have to do which we kind of touched on here narcissism and codependency thank you very much fabulous will you come back for those oh delighted okay brilliant (laughs) lovely mandy saligari the links to mandy will be in the show notes obviously and the link to that tv show will be in the show notes but mandy thank you so much for making thank you for having me thank you Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.